Welcome to another episode of Sustainable Goat. I'm Steve Cassingham, and I interview the greatest of all time in sustainability from the past, present, and into the future. In this episode, I talk with Rachel Coyce, founder at Simple Switch. Everyday household items are oftentimes the most consumed products in the market, and Rachel's on a mission to change that by providing an e-commerce solution for sustainable goods. And they're growing like crazy and are absolutely mission-focused. So let's chat with Rachel. I would love to just kind of start with a little bit about, you know, your background, where you're from, kind of what, what your story is. Definitely. Yeah. So I'm Rachel. I am the founder and CEO of Simple Switch. But before that, I'm a, a fifth generation Coloradan. I've lived here since since I was born in the Boulder, Denver area. Super outdoors person. I love backpacking and rock climbing. And recently tubing has been my favorite kind of relaxing outdoor activity. <laughs> Become recently obsessed with that form of adventure. And yeah, my background is really just in impact. So for me, that looked like ever ever since I was a kid, kind of having opportunities, whether that be often with my family, I feel really lucky and, and fortunate that my family kind of instilled these kind of values for me, but that could be, you know, volunteering somewhere here in Denver, or we would go sometimes on trips with, you know, the church that I grew up in. And I have all sorts of complicated thoughts about those kind of things now, but the really great, the really great thing is it it gave me kind of a peek into some, I would say, injustices, especially economic injustices from a really young age that a lot of people probably don't see. And then on the kind of other side, I also just had a fantastically sustainable upbringing just because my mom was the type of person who kind of recycled before it was cool. And my grandma had a compost pile and would pull over on the side of the road to have us pick up, you know, litter if we saw it. And also just growing up in Colorado, my school field trips were like to the water treatment plant and recycling center and stuff. So I just, I think a lot of the stuff I'm doing now was really normalized for me from, you know, when I was a kid. Also important is that my parents are entrepreneurs. They own a real estate company. It's like a lifestyle real estate company here in the Boulder, Denver area. And so entrepreneurship was also really normalized for me. I think I hear a lot of my peers talk about how scary it would be to start their own business. And I just didn't know anything different. I didn't realize it. I mean, it certainly is scary, but it's kind of scary. I really like and thrive on. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my personal background. And then happy to go into kind of the background that led me to what I'm doing now, a simple switch. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, do you think that part of that is Colorado just as a state? I mean, you have so much green space, so much outdoors, and especially like yeah. growing up rock climbing. Totally. I've been a climber too. So when you're climbing, you kind of get this crazy appreciation for the world around you. Yeah. Was that kind of a bigger influence on you too? And kind of going down this road? Yeah, for sure. I hear a lot of people in Colorado say like, well, I mean, the ski industry is a great example. Like they are realizing this is actually a necessity to do the things that we all really love to do. Like, uh, even if we don't look at it from, I totally agree with you, like from a mountaintop or a climbing route or, you know, anything like that, you get this amazing, just like, wow moment. Like, look at the world. I think I'm, we're, we're hoping to go do some Rocky Mountain National Park hikes this weekend. And that is just to have that as your backyard definitely makes you hyper aware of the way that we should be protecting it. But I do think there's an element of education that has to go into that because there's a lot of people who, and to no fault of their own, you know, love those things the same way you and I love them, but don't realize that there's an, first of all, a lot of people for a long time, hopefully most of these people have learned 
but didn't know there was a problem, right? Like didn't, didn't have any awareness um, of that. And we're still, you know, fighting all sorts of naysayers of that kind of thing. But also I think just, I love getting involved with educational resources, like EcoCycle in Boulder is a fantastic resource for education about what kind of the average, I say consumer, but really like the average person of, of any kind can be doing. And I think there, there does need to be some marriage of that or else we all just say, wow, this is amazing and then kind of move on. But being able to have it be a conviction instead of just um, a realization is, is kind of another step forward. Yeah, definitely. And when, when did you kind of feel like you were going to go down an entrepreneurial path. I mean, having parents that go down that path, obviously it's a lot more comfortable, but yeah, you know, when you get out of school, you're kind of like, what am I going to do? Totally. When did that kind of start for you? Yeah. So for me, as far as entrepreneurial, I, I do look back and think that was kind of in my blood from the beginning because I was the kid who was like hustling family reunions to be like, I'll give you a foot rub, but you got to pay me. Or like, you know, always trying to start a lemonade stand. Like also I have a personal rule that I have to stop at any lemonade stand I see, like no matter what, because I just, I feel really strongly that those kids are going to grow up to be entrepreneurs. And I like want to do everything I can to support that. You got to support the hustle. Yeah, actually here downtown, there was a lemonade stand, which is just kind of surprising um, the other day. And I just loved chatting with the kid and he's like, we take Venmo. He's like, working out his payment processing problems anyways. So for me and, and kind of my first, I mean, major business is is not the case, but my first business that was actually systemized in any way was an accident. It's just, I, I loved knitting. I love having something kind of to do with my hands. And I started knitting Harry Potter scarves just for friends and then started getting so many orders. It was one of those things. It was like the product market fit was super clear. Right. And started getting so many orders that I was knitting like during every class and all of these other things. So that was kind of my high school and college business slash also just weird quirky thing I was known for was I was like always knitting, but I made pretty good money there and was able to (laughs) kind of support myself in those seasons that way or have spending money. I went to see Boulder, which was near where I grew up. And I actually studied theater performance. I was pretty sure that was what I was going to do. And then I also studied business, but I, I definitely meant it to be somewhat of a backup. I was like, I know, I know I like business. I know I'm good at business. It would be good to have this, but it's not, it's not where I'm headed. And pretty immediately, like freshman year, really loved it. And not every part of it. I was definitely more on the entrepreneurial and management and kind of innovation side of things. So I decided to add a certificate in entrepreneurship People learn so differently. And I love hearing stories from people who like really soaked in a lot of the knowledge from their college classes. But for me, I think it just really pushed me in the right direction of um, learning how to learn. And so the entrepreneurial classes especially were really cool, like mindset exercises of just how do we see the problem and decide we're going to you know, go for it. So for me, the biggest example of that is I really wanted to study abroad. I'm, I'm hugely wanderlust travel gal. And I was taking so many classes because I was double majoring with theater and business that I couldn't fit in in a normal semester. So I went, the only program I could find that would kind of fit with the credits I needed was, and man, it's so cool that that was only, I'm so, so pleased, but was a business consulting internship in South Africa. So it's called Entrepreneurship and Empowerment in South Africa, and it's specifically impact focused. So you're working with under-resourced entrepreneurs in Western Cape Town. It's led by the head of the entrepreneurship department at CU, who is still a mentor of mine, Eric. And 
I really pinpoint that as the short answer to your question, maybe where I should have started of where I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur because I loved the way we were learning about entrepreneurship there and the way we were able to so directly apply it to the livelihoods of people that I was quickly becoming friends with. I admired their their entrepreneurship and their innovative skills. And that really pushed me to start Simple Switch because they, I was just so struck by the the great business models that they had. Like we were there to support them and, you know, give deliverables, enhance it, but they were really good. And I was just really frustrated that they didn't have the same access to market that I would. And so coming back, I and mean, I still, I still had a year of school left coming back was just thinking like, what, like something needs to change here. Right. Like I said, the entrepreneurial mindset's really powerful in this way where I w- I've been trained now to see mm, what's the problem. And instead of just accepting that as you know the way the world works, the way life works, I'm able to say, okay, what's what how can I apply my unique skill set to solve this problem? And for me, that really came to a point because I was trying to figure out, you know, okay, what can I do to help our entrepreneurs or really any kind of business like the one I was working with in South Africa? Like they're fantastic. Their values are awesome. I would love to support them. I am still a student, right? I'm still totally overloaded with credits. So my solution was, okay, I'm going to I'm going to do this as a consumer, right? Like I spend money, right? I I spend my knitting money from, yeah. from my knitting business. <laughs> and it's not a ton, but I can at least spend it with companies that I align with. Like that's that's where I kind of started getting into the whole vote with your dollar concept. Like I had heard of social enterprises and environmental enterprises that sold products that I needed and liked. So I made a really naive commitment to have it be, okay, 70% of my spending is going to strictly be to companies that I can like back up that I have this alignment with. And I thought it would be easy because the internet feels like this wealth of knowledge that's going to make things easy for us. <laughs> it was so complicated. <laughs> so I, I just got increasingly frustrated with okay, I want to spend this way. I'm hyper-intentional about it. I'm inspired. I'm, you know, I'm excited. I'm, you know, middle-class. I have the money to spend and I still can't figure it out because it is, Mm -hmm. I would now say kind of intentionally confusing, but yeah, there was, there was just this huge dissonance between, you know, Amazon has made our life and other retailers as well, but they're a great example, made our life so easy with online shopping, right? They've created a whole new way for us to live our lives. It's just, it's been a game changer. But as that was getting easier and easier, I felt like it was it was getting almost harder, like harder and harder to find these these transparently impactful companies for you know the environmental values I had and the social values I had. I was just super frustrated about it. And so, being the entrepreneurial mindset that I had been taught in all my classes and and like I said from my childhood and through my family, I have been working on Simple Switch ever since. I was like, I have to solve this problem. It's it's unacceptable. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, yeah, there is there is such a separation between, you know, what something can say it's sustainable and what, you know, the true footprint actually is. Yeah. And when you start diving deeper and deeper, you realize you have to be a really committed consumer to really Ugh. discern between all the options. And it shouldn't be that way, right? Totally. It could just have green packaging and it's like Totally. It has nothing to do with sustainability. It's not like people's fault. This is like my current soapbox that I'm on a lot because I people feel really like ashamed that they don't know those things, Mm -hmm. but it has been created to exactly not tell you those things. And also like most companies are putting a lot of time and resources. I mean, a lot of money behind making things really easy for you. And so it should be the same way for, for these values line businesses. Like that's really, that's what we say, you know, is our secret sauce is 
I see a lot of amazing companies doing the impact side of things. And obviously, you know, I mean, you said you're from the Bay Area. We see a lot of startups doing amazing work to lower the barriers for consumers and make it sticky and like all sorts of, you know, buzzwords. We really work to like bring those things together because the consumer desire is there. I don't know anyone who's like, I hope that my purchase today is really going to exploit people. And like, I hope they have terrible labor conditions. I hope this ruins the environment, right? But we just have to, we have to make it easier and we are, and it's been cool to watch. So anyways, that's, that's my current soapbox. Yeah. So you, so you decided to start this business and you were like, now what, like where, what was the process of, you know, really starting it? Yeah. The very first process was I had already committed to a year abroad when I got very committed to doing this business. So actually I, I like to mention this it would be easy to skim over because I think it affected the way I look at the impact that we make so much. I was able to go to 12, 13 countries that year and just see a lot of like, I just mentioned labor exploitation, right? We were working with an organization that we would be going in to meet women who were exploited in, it's called a cabin restaurant. It's essentially a restaurant and brothel combined, which is as terrible as it sounds. And so being able to have some of the firsthand experience with the organizations that are the kind of thing that a lot of our companies are now working for and with, I think gave me a really solid early understanding. And so that wasn't boots on the ground entrepreneurship by any means. But the other funny thing is we were in situations a lot where people would be, we'd be listening to people speak and they'd be speaking in Vietnamese, but we're like supposed to essentially like politely pretend that we know what they're saying. I don't know. And just like sit there. And so I would usually be, you know, taking notes, but journaling about my simple switch business plan. So it also gave me like a year of a lot of thinking through things. I would corner my peers who were traveling with me almost as like focus groups, like, Hey, you know, what would you do with this? How would you feel as a consumer in this situation? So that was kind of step one. And so I was very excited with bells on when I got home. And the funny first challenge that I always mention is I, I, like I said, I have a theater background and a business background, which is important. And like, I knew the business plan, I knew all of that, but I'm not a developer and I don't come from a tech background. And so my immediate first step was thinking, it's just so funny to think about. I thought I was going to essentially need to code PayPal, Stripe, every every aspect of what would go into an e-commerce business. I'm like, I have to build this, right? And so I spent several months just kind of stalking. It's funny because I didn't even ask that question. It was just, that was my assumption I needed to get over. So for several months, my moving forward was trying to find a, a tech co-founder essentially, because I was like, okay, I'm in a pickle because I need to hire someone for no money because I don't have any, like I don't have any capital yet but I need them to be good enough to build the next Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that seems, <laughs> and I need them to be values line because that's obviously a really important part of what we do. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I went to a, you know, the, the area is so great about entrepreneurial resources. And I went to kind of a speed mentorship event and pitched my idea to one of the guys there. And he said, what's stopping you from starting this company after dinner? It sounds like a great business plan. And I said, well, I don't, I don't know how to make an app or a website. Like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. He's like, oh, and so he introduced me to Shopify. And so that's when things really, you know, started to take off. And I did, I started the company after dinner mm-hmm. with that kind of aha, which frankly was a really great lesson for me to think now when I come upon a problem, I'm able to say, okay, we're a fairly small business at this point. We are certainly not going to have to make the answer to this problem. We just have to refine it. So it was great. But yeah, that's that's kind of what kicked us off. Wow, that's incredible. And and that willingness to just kind of like jump in and just start doing, I think is kind of one of those things that a lot of entrepreneurs when they're starting or anybody who's starting a business, they just 
it's about just going forward. Like no matter which way you can do it, enough people will get behind that behind the idea that they'll want to keep driving it forward. I've been hearing the term founder obsession quite a bit right now as we're fundraising. People are like, oh yeah, we're looking for, you know, we're looking for someone with founder obsession. And I'm like, well, I definitely have that because even when I, I didn't, I didn't know how we were going to have anyone buy anything on our site and, and Shopify is such a great solution for us. And they've, they've been growing as we've been growing, which is also great for awesome enterprise businesses. But it just is, it still makes me giggle that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going for this no matter what, even though I just, I didn't know the first thing about running an e-commerce company. Fortunately, now I do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you trial by fire. Yeah. hundred percent. And so when there's the whole other side of the business though, when you're doing e-commerce and that's, you know, the part that arguably Amazon solved the best was the shipping side of things. Yeah. So like when you started sourcing products and really trying to get something on the site, what was that process like of, okay, how do we fulfill that? Like, I don't have the cash to buy like tons of these and warehouse it myself. How is this going to work? Yeah. So we still are a drop shipping model first and foremost. So that was a term I didn't know, but I did know my plan was to have orders come in. I knew I was going to be somewhat of a middleman, right? For, for lack of a better word. And so fulfillment wise, you know, we, we sit in an interesting spot and this, you know, I'll say where we have been, but we're at an interesting place with this right now. I was actually just asked to be the keynote speaker at the operations and logistics summit for e-commerce in Florida and spoke about consumer expectations for time versus sustainability. And so that's something that we talk about a lot, which is I'm sure why they asked me to speak about it. We sit at a really unique place where it's really important to us that customers can get what they're looking for and that it doesn't feel like this martyrdom, shame, you have to sacrifice kind of experience. But there's such a balance there with doing customer education about what is the carbon footprint of something like a same day or one day or even two day shipping instead of allowing our packages to just take the route that they would have taken, which, you know, it can be literally like 10 times the carbon footprint, right? And there's actually quite a few studies I've seen, you know, I won't say anything unequivocal, but that online shopping can actually be more sustainable than brick and mortar as long as you aren't doing that rush shipping, as long as you're allowing. And I don't mean wait a month. I mean, like wait five days instead of three days, right? So that's been an interesting thing for us. I, the reason I, I hesitate there is we ask all of our brands that we work with. So we vet them for impact, but we also ask them to sign a commitment to improve. And one of the things that's my favorite part of the business is we're able to help facilitate solutions that some of our brands are using for the most common is packaging. So we'll see a social impact brand. They're fantastic, mm-hmm. but they are still using single-use plastic. And maybe they've never even thought about that because they're fighting human trafficking, right? Like they're they're going hard on a social impact. Yep. But then they come on our platform and they start seeing that we have companies that have backyard compostable packaging. And they're like, oh, well, we could do that. And so that's the most common. One of our recent solutions that we're working with, and actually I met her at the e-commerce operations and logistics summit. She was one of the only other sustainability speakers there is Sendel. And they are pushing some big like last mile logistics, Mm -hmm. sustainability solutions for shipping. They understand the kind of consumer demand and how big of a deal the time is. So they are actually pushing carbon neutral shipping. I believe it's either two or three day guarantee with that through existing carriers, but then they're also pushing kind of systemic change within those carriers. So whereas a business like mine or a business like one of my brands wouldn't have a ton of control over the actual, you know, truck, where are they going? Like, how is it powered? Sendel is doing a lot of really cool kind of policy work to help harness the needs of small businesses to make those changes. So yeah, I'm really excited about what they're doing. And we have 
started to partner with them where we're able to help our brand shift over there. Cause it's also cheaper for small businesses. There's a lot of good things about it. Well, that's, that's a hard thing about the, that whole process is, especially when it comes to packaging, Yeah, non-sustainable packaging is way cheaper. Yeah. And so for sometimes the business is like, you know, we're trying to make this decision to survive or be more sustainable. Totally. And it's a bit of that process to get there. And I think, you know, time always makes it better. Innovation always makes it better when those sustainable solutions can kind of come down to everybody. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, I look at this really similarly to how I communicate with, with customers about, so we're called simple switch for a reason, right? Like we're supposed to make it really easy for people to make this change. And and we do, but some, not all, and I want to be clear about that. Not all, but some of our products have a higher price point. I would say usually it's because they are being kind of pushed as luxury because right now sustainability is being pushed as luxury. And I don't agree with that. I think that it is necessity and it's what we will all be doing very soon. But in the meantime, people kind of with the financial privilege to start making those changes, even when they do have a higher price point, it's great because it's like a triple impact, right? We're divesting that money from the company that's making a negative impact. We're investing it into the brand and product that is making the positive impact. And we're signaling to the economy overall that this is what consumers want. And that's just going to drive the whole economies of scale. So same with, you know, same with our brands, any of our brands who kind of are able to do that and that we're able to coach through, like, what does that look like for your pricing? What does that look like for your messaging? Like, could you have, you know, could you have more sales if consumers knew this? And a lot of times that's the case, right? Especially impactful consumers who are already looking for that kind of thing, which is most of us at this point. So yeah, just helping, helping the right people take the right steps at the right time. It's, it's a long game for sure, but I, I think we're headed in the right direction. Definitely. And I, th- I think a lot of it is also just forward looking. I mean, what is, you know, what is the next generation of consumer care about and what is the yeah. generation after that? And that you can already see that that shift in the consumer mindset, like there, yeah. there's a lot more research into the transparency of what a company's doing and what their impact actually is. Absolutely. And that's immediately driving what companies' decisions are. For sure. So what, what kind of products do you guys have on your site? Like, you know, you make it yeah. simple switch to be able to be more sustainable, but what's kind of the library if you guys. Yeah. And this is changing every day. So like we're recording this in June, but at the end of June, we're going to have several hundred more products. July, we should have a thousand more. So like, if you're listening to this, keep in mind that there will be a lot more than what I say here, but yeah, we, we started with around 300 products from, I think around five vendors. And right now we have over 60 vendors and we're gaining on 5,000 products. And I think we'll hit that by the end of the month. So the most popular are the things that are kind of everyday essentials and as they should be things like toilet paper is by far our bestseller. I, I think it's hilarious. People always love it. Like just chatting hilariously. Our next bestseller is coffee. So we love to kind of push into the, the irony there. So coffee, tea, snacks, toilet paper, paper towels, cleaning products. We have things that are a little bit more typically like zero waste type products. So for instance, I made a video yesterday about how to use a shampoo bar, right? So some of those things that are a little bit more like in niche for zero waste, but everything you could be looking for is, is what we're aiming for. And we're certainly not there yet. 5,000 is not every product, but working on it. We're adding diapers this month. We're adding sponges this month, you know, just... We also are really always working to be a good listener about what we should be adding and prioritizing sourcing those things. And companies are often reaching out to us to sell. So yeah, I would say uh, the, the typical comment I always make is everything from toilet paper and soap to 
fine jewelry and electronics, right? It's, it's some really niche stuff, some really gifty type of stuff, but a lot of things that customers tend to get on subscription. That's new for us last year, but automating those, you know, toilet paper hand soap purchases, because for me, and actually this is another place where I was like the perfect target customer because I'm a busy entrepreneur, you know, I'm always forgetting. And I found myself as the owner of this business forgetting to buy from Simple Switch because I would run out of something and have to be like, oh, oh no, where do I go? So that's why we started subscriptions and it's been great. That's amazing. And how important is it to have that quality of product on the platform as well? Because one thing that I think is in the sustainability market right now is that you have products that are really sustainably made but they're also not quality. And so like part of that, having the consumer want to buy more of it is it's got to be a good product. Absolutely. How important is that for your site and who you guys actually feature? Yeah, for sure. We haven't really had any problems with that so far. We're not, because we're only reaching out to source from companies who are doing these things really intentionally, there's a really good overlap of the ones that understand the concept of what you just said, right? They're not trying to make a quick sale they understand that the longevity with the customer is going to be in the quality. We do have most brands send us samples. So like if, you know, if I get something that is outrageously bad, like of course, but we also, you know, check reviews and make sure they have really great standing with their current customer community. That's one of the the cool things about Simple Switch is we are like beginning to white label some things. We'd be more involved on that side, but mostly we're able to see like, what do customers already think of your brand? And we're able to, you know, vet, vet impact with, the more typical things, third-party certifications and looking, you know, looking at materials used and things, but we're also able to really see the the satisfaction even on something like an Instagram. Like a quick scroll through a company's Instagram will tell you a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think that is kind of a shift that's happened in society is is really the consumer does have way more power in the reputation yeah, of a brand. Absolutely. How's that kind of been for you guys getting out to the public and getting more attention around Simple Switch? Yeah, really, really cool. It's been really good. I think getting the paid, you know, ad spend is always tricky. So that part is difficult, but our word of mouth has been fantastic. You know, we will often tell customers how thankful we are that they shared our posts. Like that's, that's a really simple way to support us. But more of our customers will reach out and say, Hey, I, you know, I talked about Simple Switch at my, HOA meeting this week, right? Like some, like they're just so excited that they have this easy solution. And one thing that's interesting that is a slightly different question is that we also are really focusing on selling to businesses right now. We we expanded into B2B this year. And those that is really cool too, because it becomes this really cool interchange where customers can use their voice to tell their favorite companies, retail stores, office spaces, whatever, restaurants, hey, like, I wish you were doing this blank, more sustainable thing. I have a solution for you. That's as easy as Amazon. Like that's a cool way where customers are doing it and vice versa. All of our B2B clients, we give them um, the opportunity to also be affiliates. And so they can, you know, beautifully message. And, you know, there's some balance here of, of like feeding the ego of the business and like having them get good marketing, but they're making the right impact. So I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in their bathroom, it can say, hey, like we care about the environment. So we source this sustainable bamboo from Simple Switch. You can get yours here with a QR code. And so companies are able to introduce us and the impact that is possible to their employees, to their customers, and then vice versa. We're able to like activate our customers to like tell your favorite businesses because think of all the impact they could be making. So it's this really cool cycle. Yeah, that's amazing. And it, and it kind of closes the loop in a way where you're getting people to not only market the business, but you're also 
they're advocating for the impact. I mean, that's exactly. at the root of it. That's, that's kind of what's happening and starting the conversation. And I think yeah. from a consumer side, that's what matters. And businesses, when they get on board with that, it just, oh yeah, it feeds itself. And that's the amazing part about it. For sure. And like I said, I think, you know, I started this out of my own customer and consumer frustration. And I, I hear a lot of our, our no- normal customers, B2C, right. Our, our clients say, Oh good. This is exactly what I've been looking for. With that said, any e-commerce business knows the statistic, right? You need to get in front of someone like seven to 11 times before they make a purchase. And so it like, it's all of the intention is there, but people forget or people, you know, whatever, like we have to do a lot of follow-up selling to businesses is like the complete opposite. Every business I, I like walk into businesses for my own personal use, end up being like, Hey, like I own this company. We sell this stuff. And they're like, Oh, phew. Like this is exactly what we've been looking for. And their office manager has like set up a subscription for the whole year by the end of the conversation. Like it's just, and it makes sense, right? Like I, I do a lot more consistent stuff for my business than I do for my own life. Like that's the first thing to go by the wayside. So that's been a cool shift as well to not only, I mean, for our monthly recurring revenue as well and the way that we're expanding, but the fact that businesses are easiest and cheapest way to reach our individual customers as well has just turned out to be this like very, very lovely surprise that that cycle, like that wasn't my initial intention. And it was an immediate aha when we saw that that was going to happen. Yeah. But that also speaks to, you know, the attention, I guess, as an entrepreneur that you have into listening to the customer, yeah. looking at the market and and really looking at your own business. I think sometimes people get so caught up in like the one track mind of like, this is what we're doing. And if we stray from it, we'll fail. Cause yeah. you're oftentimes taught like singular focus, but you really have to totally put your ears out and, and really listen. Yeah. How much has that been an influence in kind of the growth of simple switch? Have you guys so much followed the road? That's, you know, very, very twisty along the way. Yeah. I mean, this, this harkens back to what I was saying with where I was like, I've got to find a developer who can make this thing for me. Right. I feel very, very equipped to be the runner of this business, but I shouldn't. I mean, you hear the like shifting 20 to 80, all those things. And before we've been able to like hire, that usually comes in the form of of mentorship or kind of customer, you know, engagement. And it's just very cool. I mean, we even in the first few years had customers volunteering to like help us with tech tasks or like data entry, or we we were doing manual, ridiculously silly manual fulfillment for the first six months of like we would get an order and then my like college roommate would you know take the the order information and plug it in copy and paste it like into the website of the brand that we were working with like it was that manual because that's you know what what i thought we needed to do and actually this brings up a really good point is that for us it's not only about listening to our customers it's also about really listening to our brands because we have fantastic brands and one, I mean, this is a more nerdy, it's like less of the sustainability and like what customers will care to hear about. But one huge shift that I've seen is that when I started um, pursuing brands and recruiting them for our site, the only reason we were getting no's is because they were not okay with drop shipping. And the reason was the tech that they experienced with drop shipping was so bad. And they were like, this, this is really clunky and it adds so much time. And like we're trying to make an impact. So we don't want to do that. Like we we don't want to have this, you know, big investment of time and money. And so that's why I started doing it manually. Mm-hmm. That actually wasn't a, I don't know how to do that. That was a, they don't like it. So I'm not going to do it that way. Yeah. And I actually think that's like, I've mentioned we're we're raising money now. And one of the common questions I'm getting from investors is about these amazing relationships we have with our brands and even better margins we have from our brands than some other sites. And I think the reason for that is because we have really prioritized what they actually want and need 
because our mission is to support and lift them, not to like pull from them and exploit them because that is the opposite of what we're trying to do, right? The impact that they are making is what we are trying to facilitate growth in. And that has been a really, um, you know, mutually beneficial thing because then they are much more excited to work with us, much more excited for collaborations, cost sharing even. So that's one, one listening thing that's been super important. Totally. And that, that piece of, of the drop shipping side of adding almost like a, a third-party shipping to their supply chain usually mm-hmm. is really difficult. I mean, I come from a background working in coffee and yeah. we would have that same issue where it's like, these people want to sell our stuff. We're like, yeah. okay, but we have to actually hire someone to manage just those things because there's no way to make it easy for a system to actually be able to do that where you can automatically totally. bring in orders and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's a tech problem, but at the same time, like yeah. if that little problem can get solved, it makes it so much easier for everybody to be able to be like, yeah, let's, let's do more of this. And it grows their business. It grows the other one. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're able to automate it a lot better now. You know, we, we are using kind of a conglomeration of various softwares right now to make the automation of like, when I say we were doing it manually, also like we were uploading each product manually and the description and the photos, like all of it was so bad. So all of that's automated now, which obviously is great because how would we add products? You know, it just wouldn't be scalable, especially with the way that we're growing. I will say, frankly, it's still not, it's still not great, but what we've always kept at the front is this, this should follow your current process, especially working with smaller businesses. Like if we add one more step to their, what they have to do on the back end, they will just tank. Like they don't have, especially right now. I mean, people are understaffed and, you know, if the accountant who some of our smaller businesses have like their accountants, a volunteer, it's someone who just really cares about the mission. And so if the accountant has to add another step, like they won't do it. And so then the company just doesn't have an accountant anymore. So (laughs) it's a lot of also just like balancing small business needs. And it's been cool because then as we have been able to, scale up these solutions. Frankly, I think there's like a non-zero chance that we start a SaaS company that like solves this problem and then mm-hmm. have other, you know, drop shippers be able to use it. Because even for a company that doesn't intend to grow the way that we do, that is, a, it, it's just a, such a huge stumbling block and there's not a super fantastic answer for it right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. And so where, where are you guys kind of looking to go over, you know, the coming years? Is it, is it just more products, more market share, or is it, you know, kind of more getting into that distribution side? Yeah. So like I said, we're, we're kind of playing around with starting to white label some things. And so as we're seeing demand for products, especially products that businesses are needing, we're seeing that there isn't so much, it's, it's the same. It's listening, listening and trying to go in that direction, right? Like we, this is a super early consideration. This isn't something that's a huge part of our business right now, but because we're working with businesses and working on scaling that up, if we see that there's not a supplier for a product that that business would love to source, but we see, you know, it's, there's the demand, but then not the supply, we are considering and kind of looking into ways that we can fill that hole, whether it be kind of helping to empower a distributor to make that choice or whether we become the distributor. So I think there's, there's definitely a chance that we move in that direction. Big for us is, yeah, getting more customers, specifically business customers is our goal for this year. So 10x, 10x this year from last year and primarily with the goal of that being through B2B because like I said, it it just flows so well into our B2C funnel as well. Mm -hmm. And raising our first round of equity right now, which will primarily be to grow the team and then increase some marketing spend. So like you said, getting some market share and having some more full-time people. We've had a very, very scrappy, essentially volunteer team up to this point. 
I have been told I'm, I'm raising this round to hire my CEO because I just, I haven't been consistently, you know, paying myself a salary and, and that's important. <laughs> they tell me and I know, <laughs> but also bringing on some people to be working on the tech and some people to be working on the marketing and then someone hopefully full-time to be working in that B2B funnel, because my ideal would be for, for my personal position to be really helping to scale up what brands we have, what products we carry, doing more of the thought leadership and education side of things, because mm -hmm. we've found ourselves in a really cool and unique position where we are a thought leader in a lot of these spaces. Even for, for me, who didn't three years ago know what Shopify was, to be asked to you know be the keynote at <laughs> Operations and Logistics Summit for e-commerce is that, that just makes me giggle. You know, it's like, okay, there is clearly a hole here with the sustainability and social impact side of this business. And then I think that we will, through partnerships or internally, also kind of have a consulting arm because, because that combines what we're doing, right? It helps people with, here are the products that you can buy, but we're so much more than that. We, we would love to help move the entire industry through everything from what toilet paper you buy to helping you engage in public policy. Like there's a lot, a lot that we can use as far as collaborations and partnerships to move that forward. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and obviously like for you in that position, you, when you start a business, you're running around doing literally everything, wearing all the hats, doing all the things. Yeah. And then you get to a point where, you know, your brain has got to kind of focus on the bigger problem that you're trying to solve because each problem yeah. kind of gets bigger in a way. Definitely. And that's definitely part of that scaling process. What's kind of been your favorite part of, of this process? Yeah. For me, it's, it's the way we're able to collaborate with like, I think we're able to facilitate the collaboration, not only between our brands, but other uh, kind of sustainability solutions. Like we're building a tool right now for a free audit for businesses to do their carbon accounting. And then also that helps them understand how products that we use could help them with our sustainability and then also help them market that right and, and have the messaging. So I love, like you said, and I'm, I'm fortunate because I know some people kind of found the company are doing all that running around and then realize, oh, the big picture thing is not for them. And so they kind of settle into like, okay, I'm going to do the day to day. We're going to hire different executive leadership. For me, I love that part. I love the moving us forward in innovative ways, the partnering with you know, I would love to see us. We are currently working with property managers and Airbnbs uh, to sell because that's this gorgeous, like in between, between B2C and B2B, right? Huge. And so I would love to see us have like an official partnership with Airbnb where we are, you know, showing verification certification. I don't know what, what we would want to call it, but being able to show this Airbnb has made these certain commitments. And so we're able to then grow our business. I mean, frankly, that would be huge for us, right? Like those kind of yep. things, every time we make a new partnership, it is definitely bolstering our success as well. But it also, it furthers the transparency you and I are talking about, right? Like every time yep. we set a transparent and clear example of impact, instead of kind of a vague, weird one, it helps this, you know, like we said, it's, it's, it's a long game, but everything contributes. So that's my favorite part. So some examples of that is working with like, there's another sustainability startup here in Denver called Remark.eco. And we love working with them. They essentially give consumers a really, really easy app platform to give feedback to businesses or even um, political you know, candidates, various things about sustainability. It's like three touches of a button and then it sends it to the CEO or like to the campaign manager, all these things. They're really cool. Wow. So being able to collaborate with them where, you know, we're not, we're not going to start that. We're not going to like create this whole another platform, but for us to be able to say, Hey, you can, you can send a remark to this business and introduce them to us. And that will help them, you know, reduce their, their single use waste because they'll start buying from us. Or I mentioned the carbon accounting company, just a lot of really cool 
how can, how can we work together? We have a lot of yeah. like affiliate marketers that have been really creative, big YouTubers. And then for me on a kind of B2C side and, and a less, a less like tech entrepreneurship collaborations way, I love scaling our niche. And so for me, the mission here is not to reach, frankly, it's probably not to reach the listeners of your podcast. Um, like mm-hmm. I love that your podcast listeners will, will hear from us, but our mission is to normalize this, this kind of shopping. And one of our values is mm-hmm. ease without apathy. And like I said, I get on my soapbox about like, it shouldn't be this shamey martyrdom thing. Mm-hmm. So my favorite part to scale is like, we're likely bringing on a sustainable surfboard and skateboard company here coming up. And that is the kind of thing where I'm like, yes, because I would love for us to be in this maybe skater community who's super like tight knit and they're excited about stuff. They're passionate, mm-hmm. but maybe it hasn't, they haven't felt like welcome in the sustainability community yet. Yep. And that's where I feel like simple switch. I hear a lot of really cool feedback from people who are like, my favorite sound bite is, Oh, I've never really considered myself sustainable before, but it's so easy on simple switch that I can do it. And I'm like, yes, like that's what we're yeah. going for. <laughs> so that's my personal favorite part of scaling is, is kind of scaling our niche and adjusting our messaging and making sure that we're not gatekeeping anyone, right? Like we're trying to make this impact and we're trying to grow, Totally. but it is interesting to me how many businesses really kind of like cut people off from that. Totally. And you want you want to make it welcoming and kind of inclusive to everybody. I mean, I think yeah. this industry has been very well, you're either on board or you're not. And there yes. there is a transitional time mm-hmm. that, you know, people want to be learning more about it and, and ha- opening those doors and allowing them to kind of jump in yeah. in a really open way and not shameful. I think that's super important. For sure. It's game changer. And truly, like, I'm okay if they don't get to know anything more about it. I, I think it's, mm-hmm. there is almost a 100% chance that they will just like by nature of it. And, you know, mm-hmm. even like the packaging that's going to come to their house is going to teach them a little something. Right. But I just want it to be so easy. And so you don't think about shopping on Amazon. You don't have to go through these like mental gymnastics of like, should I, or shouldn't, well, I mean, now a lot of people are having that mental gymnastics, hopefully a little, I want it to feel that easy. Oh, I need this thing. I'm going to grab the app. I'm going to buy it it's okay if you don't really know the whole thing. Like as long as you know that you can trust us and and you can look for that information if, if you're concerned or curious or anything like that. But I just want it, you know, I want those people who, who we're talking about who like have probably not felt welcome in it because my, my one friend who works in climate policy always says, well, because they just need to worry about like getting their kids to soccer practice and getting them fed. Like they shouldn't need to worry about all of this. Mm-hmm. Frankly, like only I really should need to worry about all of this. Yeah. Remove the friction, take that on for them and yeah. just be a place to take trust. 100%. And I love it. So I'm happy to take it on. And I don't have any kids to get to soccer practice yet. So I'm in a, I'm in a perfect spot. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. All right. So last, last few questions, um, I kind of ask every guest these questions. So first of all, do you remember your first sustainable purchase you ever made where it was like a conscious, like I'm making this decision to buy this product because of these reasons? Yeah. I think that for me, let's see, what would be the first, I think would be a reusable water bottle. Mm-hmm. That would be my first intentional. Like I said, I grew up in a pretty sustainable family. So I'm sure there were other things that I like bought, but the one that I would remember is just the classic water bottle. And I think that has been a cool thing for me to look back on because I do see other people making that same shift. And like, we sell a bunch of different kinds of reusable water bottles that I think will work for different lifestyles. Like we're just about to bring on a collapsible ones, like throw it in your purse, whatever backpack. And it's also fun because it it's one of those things that like got real trendy. Like I was, I, you know, I, I lived just outside of Boulder my whole life. And when I bought this, I was living in Boulder. And so it was, it was kind of a like, oh yeah, like 
this is the thing everyone does. Yeah. And so it's fun for me to think like, what if every sustainable product was like the cool thing everyone does? And I'm like, I think we can get there. I think we can do that. Like, let's, I was on a podcast recently called Talk Sustainability to Me and their whole mission, and they say, is making sustainability sexy. And I thought that was hilarious. I'm like, absolutely. Like, how do we make all of these things the thing, right? That everyone wants to do. Totally. I love that. that. That's really awesome. I think I still have that water bottle too. I'm terrible about losing things, but I wrote my phone number on it. And it's been a journey where a lot of people have called me to tell yeah. me. They found it. <laughs> That's genius. Put the phone number on it. That's amazing. I just used like a hello, my name is sticker too. And I'd be like, please return and just popped it on there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then what's your favorite place to enjoy nature in the world? In the whole world. In the whole world. Yeah. I've been to 28 countries now and it is my goal to never, I'm 28. It's my goal to never have been to less countries than my age. So the whole world asking me to choose somewhere where I love nature is a lot. But with that said, I think that my favorite is still probably the place where I was very first introduced to enjoying nature. And I'm going to, I'm going to split it between two. I know I'm kind of cheating, but I mentioned Rocky Mountain National Park early in our conversation and my mom's side of the family grew up in like near there. My great grandparents actually have one of the houses that was like grandfathered into the park. And so I've been growing up going there and I totally took it for granted. I thought that everyone had Rocky Mountain National Park in their backyard. Like I, this is my normal. So that's one. And I try to go, I try to get up there every month to visit my 95 year old great aunt, who is one of the biggest simple switch cheerleaders ever. <laughs> And then the other is Steamboat Lake, which is like the same concept. I grew up going there. My dad, my dad kind of scrappily, just the same. He was a founder obsession type of guy and, and just generally an awesome, like driven man and built a cabin on Steamboat Lake when he was like 20. And so that is such a simple, like we go up there and there, we don't have a TV. Like we're just up there to just relax and enjoy nature and swim in the lake or, you know, throw like hit some golf balls into sagebrush, just like whatever. So I love yeah. those kind of simple, simple ways to enjoy nature as well around a campfire with people. That's amazing. Wow. I love that. And and for those who haven't been to Rocky Mountain National Park, I mean, it is oh. super busy of a place now. It is. Like I will just say it's it's so busy. So I'm not saying this so that way it gets more busy, but like it is a really magical place. It really is. It is. Another thing is I'll say Rocky Mountain National Park is fantastic. I love, I have a special connection with the park, like I said, because of my family and that great aunt used to be a ranger there and then volunteer ranger and same with my great uncle. So lots of fun things with the park. But with that said, Estes Park in general is really gorgeous. And there's some like national forest land there. It's a lot less busy. So if you're looking for something less crowded or you don't want to pay to get in, all sorts of things, there's other options for, for Estes Park as well. Definitely. Yeah. And super good climbing up there too. Really good climbing. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping we'll do that this weekend. <laughs> well, how can people get involved with you, Simple Switch, connect with you guys, socials, website, all that kind of stuff? How can they get involved? Absolutely. So many ways. Best, first and foremost, simpleswitch.org or our mobile app is where you can go and actually find the products and shop. I love, love, love when our customers send us feedback. I mean, we talked about listening, but it really is. It is helpful. I mean, when companies are asking for your feedback, it's because it helps us, especially us, you know, who are on the smaller side or startups. And then if you want to connect with us on social, we have the, the largest following and most consistency on Instagram. It's simple.switch. But if you look up simple switch, we should be the first one. You're welcome to connect with me. It's at Rachel from Simple Switch on Instagram. And then the reason I kind of smirked there is that recently one of my interns has get, been getting us more into TikTok. So if you want to see me 
rant about various startup things or talk through how we choose brands. I recently like did a video on how to use a shampoo bar, which was it's pretty awkward filming. Like I was like fully clothed in my shower, like showing <laughs> a shampoo bar, but come and say, Hey, we're a really authentic channel. We'd love to, you know, see in the comments. And then right now, depending on when you're listening to this, we are raising that first round of funding and it's, it's from some institutional investors, you know, fantastic values aligned angel investors, VCs, but we also have our investment round open to the community through a fellow B corporation. We fund our similar to like a seed invest or Republic. And we are just getting out of our testing the waters mode. So it's going public. So if you want to check it out, minimum investment is $100. So if you're interested in dipping your toes in startup investing, you know, I'm required to make sure you all know that it's it's risky investing in startups, right? So just keep that in mind. But you've heard the ways that we're wanting to grow. This is probably the best pitch ever. So if you want to come in and invest, you can find that wefunder.com slash simple switch and feel free to drop any questions about that. You can also email us at hello at simpleswitch.org, which is also on our website. So yeah, anyway, or if you want to, you know, hit the comments for this podcast, I'll, I'll try to keep an eye on those too. Awesome. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time. I love that we dove into all this stuff and I can't wait to see where Simple Switch goes and continues to grow. And absolutely. It'll be cool to see it and all the businesses and all the homes and all the Woo-hoo. Airbnbs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for people to say, hey, I heard about you on this podcast and then you were in my Airbnb. Wow. Like that's that's where we're headed. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat. Check out Simple Switch and some of the products that they have. You might find that the switch really is that simple. And thanks to Rachel for being a part of the podcast and sharing her story and the story and vision of Simple Switch. And if you've been enjoying these episodes, share your favorite one with a friend or post it on social media. Your support really does go a long way. And the more the community grows, the more impact that we can have on the world. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat.